1974, the World Holocaust Organization created a commission to develop a vaccine to uh, eliminate fertility in human beings. Now they had, they divided it into two committees, a committee for the creation of a vaccine that would induce male sterility and a committee for the creation of a vaccine that would, incre that would induce female infertility. Okay, so they worked on that. They got real good at that. And indeed the uh, WHO was found guilty of genocide in the Philippines by the high court for the involuntary sterilization of an unknown millions of Filipinas. So With the global economy being in shambles and central bankers moving towards a reset, it's never been a better time to protect your wealth by owning precious metals. Contact Andy at milesfranklin.com. Tell him Sarah sent you. He promised me he will guarantee you the lowest price anywhere in the country. Remember, email Andy at milesfranklin.com and tell him Sarah sent you. It's never been a better time to protect your future than now. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have the great Dr. Rima Labau coming to the program. She was the original person back in, I should want original, I, there's probably other people, but she was way back in the 90s warning people about what was going to be happening with COVID and other diseases, how they were going to try to depopulate. She was warning people about Agenda 21. Now it's Agenda 2030. She was way ahead of everyone. She was put on Jesse Ventura's conspiracy theory shows. She was on the first show and she'll talk about that. Her husband was a high level general in the military and she showed him kind of what, you know, uncovering research and sharing things with him. And then he started realizing what he experienced was, was what she's talking about. And She's going to talk about that in this interview. This is a really fascinating discussion, and I think you're going to learn a lot from her. And you will also be able to see her speaking at the Act 2 Censored Conference. They're, the Encore presentations are still playing for free, and you can also watch Act 1 by buying a ticket, all of Act 2, too, on demand by buying a ticket or donating. It's a donation if you buy a ticket at unitedforfreespeech.com and join the movement, sign up for the newsletter, and also sign up for my newsletter. That's how I make money and support this show and keep it going. SarahWestall.com and support my affiliates under shop. And thank you so much for being here. I always need to thank you for being at these shows. And if you're watching, please remember to subscribe because you know I have what, 20,000 subscribers in Rumble, but my view count is actually pretty high. So I don't think people are, I don't know, they're sharing it and embedding it or something and they're not, actually subscribing. So take the time to subscribe, take this time to subscribe on whatever platform that you're watching it on. And let's get into our really interesting two-parter conversation with Dr. Rima Labau. We have the great Dr. Rima joining the program today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much, Sarah. What a pleasure. Okay, I was, we had the pleasure of uh, talking offline for a while. James Roguski introduced us, and I'm so happy he did. He said, you gotta, you guys gotta talk. And so we did. And I am so impressed with your background. I didn't realize at the time, I knew you were really engaged and stuff, but I didn't realize how 
much you were ahead of the curve. I mean, you were ahead of everyone. You were ahead of Alex Jones. You were ahead of everyone. They all learned from you on what was coming down the pike. I saw that you were on uh, Governor Ventura's, who is a governor of my state, by the way, which that's a whole nother story. But he had that conspiracy theory show and he did some good work on that. And you were on that show he did. T- talking about what we just what we went through over the last few years and what we're going to go through coming forward. Can you talk about how the heck did you run into all this stuff back in the 90s? Well, uh, Governor Ventura asked me to be on his show, and actually, I believe it was his first episode uh, in the in 2009. And I had at that time for five years already been acting as the medical director of the Natural Solutions Foundation, which my husband and I created specifically to avoid where we are now and what we are facing with the destruction of human society, the um, uh, capture and destruction of the human genome, and essentially an end to humanity. We said, nope, genocide is rude, bad idea, let's stop this. And yeah, so in 2004, no, it's just, you know, my mother taught me that genocide is rude. What is the matter with these people? They have no manners. <laughs> so my husband and I decided that instead of healing the body individually in our practice of drug-free um, psychiatry and medicine, our task really was to heal the body politic. And that meant not being able to do both. We had to choose between uh, taking on the globalist agenda full-time, frontal, full frontal uh, uh, attack on it, or uh, sort of playing around the edges part-time while we conducted our practice, which we earned our living from. So we decided to um, take the leap into the abyss and create the Natural Solutions Foundation because it was so much more important to stop this agenda. As we now see, um, Stockholm is being divided into 15-minute neighborhoods mm-hmm. at the yeah, moment. Every great city in the world has agreed to become a 15-minute city, which means you are a prisoner in your quadrant, which means yeah, if like they the decide Hunger, Hunger Games. Truly it is, is exactly the Hunger Games. Precisely. Well, let me ask you, your husband, uh, keep going, keep going. If you have more to say, I want to ask you to get some more foundation on you and then dive right into stuff. I just wanted to say uh, we were right, but I wish to God we had been wrong. I would much rather at this point be looking back and saying, oh, we were completely crazy. Everybody was right. Rather than saying, huh, we were completely right. Everybody else was anesthetized. Well, and that's, you know, I say too, I just hope I'm wrong. I always say, I hope I'm wrong. I also hope humanity is stronger. Our DNA, our physiology, I hope our biology are stronger and they're not that smart. That's what I'm hoping too. You know, we need to have some God help here, but uh, let's talk a little bit about your husband too. Give a, give listeners an idea of what your husband, you educate, he was a general. Um, talk about your husband. He was a general. He, yeah, I could talk about him. He is he was really high up in the US military, but you informed him of what was going on. And then based on his background, he started realizing, oh my gosh. So talk about that a little bit. Uh my husband 
Uh, Major General Albert N. Stubblebine III, U.S. Army, um, was a West Point um, graduate's kid. He was an Army brat. His father was a West Point grad, class of 29. And he um, followed in his father's footsteps and became a West Point grad in 1952. And then he became um, a very important poobah in um, military intelligence. And um, when he was on active duty, created remote viewing because he figured out that the Russians were doing that. And we were in um, a race of many, many dimensions with the Russians, the Cold War. And he said, well, we better we better do the same thing. And um was he in the he men who scared in goats? Night. Was he that based on his uh, that was a takedown movie to make him I know. ludicrous. But it was yes. based on so it was he, a joke they, based on his work that was serious. Well, it wasn't a joke. It was a, a, a no, no, political no. Uh, axe job, but it was based on his his work. Yes. But they um, but they spun it to look like a joke. And a joke is serious because right. that's they have it. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, and so, yes, he's he's that guy. Uh, he was a true visionary, and he retired in 1984. And over the year and a half before I met him in 1991, as a matter of fact, tomorrow will be the anniversary of that encounter. Um, a number of people kept saying to me, you have to meet General Stubblebine and you have to work with him because the two of you have similar visions. And I said, I want nothing to do with him. First of all, he's a career military officer. Uh, uh, uh. Second of all, I was an anti-war activist forever. Uh, second of all, he's good at it. They made him a general. And we all know that generals are um, callous monsters who um, who have no commitment to humanity. And I went on and on, and I was quite sure that I was correct. And I remember we were coming. That, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, with great confidence and certitude. But. That I was wrong. Um, and so I refused to meet him, uh, despite the repeated requests of various people, because one of the things that I knew about him was, although it was still super secret at the time, uh, he had indeed created remote viewing for uh, U.S. Army intelligence. And I knew that the Russians had done that through electroshock and torture and um drugs and intimidation and and really vile means. And I thought, well, we're really no different. So this man must be a monster who has uh, corrupted a basic human capacity for non-local information gathering. And I wanted nothing to do with him. So uh, in April of 1991, specifically the 28th of April, uh, I was standing in the San Francisco airport waiting to uh, or just picking up my my bags because I was going to attend a week long advanced neurobiofeedback seminar, which Foster Gamble was running at an of Thrive. There wasn't Thrive yet. He had an organization called the Mind Center and he was doing really interesting work and I wanted to know about it. So I was attending his seminar. A guy walks into the luggage area as far away from me as you could physically be. I left my bags. You never leave your bags. I left my bags and I went running across the airport with no conscious thought in my head. And I propelled myself up into his arms. 
total stranger. He, his mother had brought him up well. He did not let me go splat on the terrazzo. He put his arms, you know, he caught me. He kissed me. That's a little odd. And he set me down, kissed me again. And then we introduced ourselves. And to my wow. horror, this was this monster that I didn't want to ever why encounter. Did you, why did you run up to him and do that? I have no idea. And it was a unique act. I have never done anything like that before. Since. Interesting. It was a completely unique, bizarre act. And why did he catch me and kiss me? Okay. So what is he there for? He's there to attend the same seminar that I am because he's deciding whether he wants to be the CEO. Because while he was on active duty, he sponsored the basic research for what we now call neurobiofeedback, which is what this was about. And there we were. So we spent the night talking and um, discovered that each of us about six months prior when we were in meditation had been given a mission. It was the same mission. He saluted and said, yes, sir, because, you know, the hierarchy thing. And I said, what? That's completely crazy. But ultimately said, OK, it's crazy, but I'll do it anyway. What was the mission, Sarah? The mission was heal the world. And we believe that we had been given to each other by a, uh, a universe with a huge sense of humor to do exactly that. Only it's a very, very, very big task. It's a big world and there are a lot of things that need healing. So we spent at least a decade trying to figure out what that meant, working together, creating the medicine of self-regulation, neurobiofeedback, along with nutrition and detox yeah, yeah. and other frequency out tools the body and other good and stuff. Redefining what medicine really is and all that stuff. Exactly. That stuff. And with all of this without any pharmaceuticals, because my entire practice, I graduated in medical school from 19, in 1973. I'm sorry, in 1970, my entire practice of medicine and psychiatry has been without a single pharmaceutical. So wow, that's we we're doing impressive. things a little yeah, that's him. Well, let me ask you, your husband's work with the neuro, you know, linguistics, I'm not exactly sure what you call it. How does that compare to what's going on now with Neuralink and Elon Musk? And all, I mean, because what he did was predated that, but it wasn't that. How do you? It wasn't that. No, I know. But how do you, when you hear what he was doing, how do you compare that to what's going on now? And how did did what you learned from that help you understand what they're doing today. Fundamentally, everything that Bert did when he was on active duty, everything that we did together using neurological competence, changing the way the brain functions on a voluntary basis through neurobiofeedback and so on and so on, everything that we did was done to enhance free will, if you will, choiceful um, uh, expansion of capacity and everything that is being done now, the AI, the Neuralink, the, uh, the gene therapies masquerading as vaccines, that's all done to reduce human capacity and to eliminate free will, to eliminate our ability to know, to think, to choose, to act, to reproduce, to um, define ourselves to uh, uh, expand our um, our basic innate abilities to be, if you will, if you want to be philosophical about it, to be divine. This is all of this bad stuff is designed to constrict, to restrict, 
and to eliminate that capacity for free choice in everything. So the difference is enormous. Yeah, well, it's absolutely, it's the opposite. But it's it's a study of a lot of the same same um, biology and how our brain works, but it's for, I always say a tool can be used for expanding and making glorious future, or it can be used for the opposite. And it's just a tool. But what happened? Because it sounds like back when you were guys were working on this, your husband was working in the military, that there was a consciousness that we want to expand humanity. We, it was a goodness. It was like, let's learn to improve us and glorious things. And then, and there's always bad guys, but so, at some point the bad guys be, got powerful and now they're controlling stuff. When did that shift and what happened? Well, that's a, a really, really good set of questions. It's not one question. So let me briefly answer the several questions that I hear in that excellent um, focus. First of all, uh, when I'm a post-military wife, I didn't uh, take part in Bert's life when he was in the military, which is good for his career, because I assure you, he would never have made <laughs> flag rank if I had been his wife, because military wives or husbands are not supposed to speak counter to the narrative. I'm sure, yeah. Which is kind of what you I were, do. Yeah, you're so, not good for that. I'm not good for that. No. no. So... Um, when he was on active duty, um, when he was the head of the U.S. Army Intelligence and Security Command, um, the requirements were rising and the resources were being drawn down. And so he had to create a way to enhance performance, not by working longer, but by working smarter for his troops all over the world. And it was one of the Army's major commands. So there were a lot of people involved. Uh, so he created a high performance task force and he sent his commanders out around the world to bring in every single technology that could enhance human capacity and uh, productivity. And the rule was that they had to bring everything to the table and eliminate nothing. And he got to eliminate whatever was not useful. And then he created um, experimental protocols with the ones that he felt were most likely to help his mission for information gathering and processing worldwide to succeed. And one of those techniques, but only one, was uh, EEG or neurobiofeedback. And um, it, it's, it's quite an interesting story. So that was the particular thread that drew us together. But remote viewing emerged um, as another way of expanding the ability to gather and know what they needed to gather and know. And it was only one of them. So by the time I met him, uh, he was acting as a, an independent defense contractor. And um, he still had all his clearances and there was lots of things that he never talked about to me or to anyone else because they were covered by security restrictions. And he was always very careful about that. And I was the one who said to him, the United States is the world's leading drug dealer. And he said, not my country. And I said, yeah. NSA, CIA, and he said, and uh, the military, not my military, he 
could not hear me about that. As wide-minded as he was about everything else, no, he had drunk the Kool-Aid. Man, he wasn't giving up on that. Then he got the flu, the one and only time he was ever sick in our history together. He got the flu, and he had reached the stage where he was hoping he would die. He was afraid he wouldn't, you know, that, that point in recuperation from something like the flu. And so he was bored out of his mind, but too weak to get out of bed. And I said, yes, this is my moment. And I gave him a book by an author named Terry White. Now, Terry White had been a CIA operative. He had been uh, flying drugs from, uh, from the Golden Triangle to the United States with uh, uh, the Flying Tigers in Air America for the CIA and so on and so on. And there was a great deal. He, they... they hung him out to dry. He went to jail for 15 years on trumped up charges because they needed a fall guy. He came out of jail. His life had been destroyed, his marriage, his finances, his, his prospects for the future. So he said, screw you. I'm writing a tell-all book. And he wrote a tell-all book. Is that the movie that Tom what? Cruise, was that the move based on the movie, the movie that Tom Cruise did was based on him? Or is that a something different? I'm not aware of I'm not aware of that. Could be, Maybe it's but a I'm, different one. Okay. I'm not aware of that. Maybe it's a different Could one. Could be a different one. So, so I gave Bert the book and he read it and it was very interesting, Sarah. When Bert was the intelligence officer uh, for the 25th Infantry Division in, um, in northern South Vietnam during the, the, South, the Vietnamese War, um, the Viet Cong would come down from the north on one of two trails. And they never knew which one of the two trails to put their firepower on. So they were kind of getting beat up quite a lot. And then one day, one of Bert's guys came to him and said, sir, um, I liberated this. It was a highly secret, very, very sensitive uh, vibration detector. And there were only two in the world and they had a super secret code name. And this guy had stolen one of them and brought it to Bert. So Bert was able to put the vibration detector on the trail. And if the VC were coming down this trail and the sensor went off, they would know to put their firepower here. If they were coming down and this was, yeah, the sensor yeah. didn't go off, they'd put their firepower over here. Bert never told anybody about it. And in this book, Terry White mentions that one of their devices with the super secret code name disappeared and they never found it. And Bert said, oh, my God, nobody knows about this except people who know the real story. If this is true, adjacent to that, what else is true? And then the things that I had been telling him, which clicked in with that set of truths, began to open for him. And I must tell you, Sarah, this this brave, incredibly pure hearted man went through what I can only describe as the dark night of the soul, because everything he believed was open for reexamination and was shattered. Yeah. And he came out the other side of this, a warrior, as he had always been. But now it was for truth, not for the Kool-Aid lies. And he he was determined. Isn't that story what a lot of people are going through now? Yes. Exactly yes. It. Yeah. And I think and everybody I have great has compassion to go passion and yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say everybody has to go through that to come out the other side to understand 
what's really going on. I know I went through it before COVID happened, so I had foundation. You went through it way before the rest of us, but everybody kind of has to go through it. Some people simply fold and they say, no, no, too terrible, can't handle it, won't think, won't see, won't feel, won't take my responsibility as an adult. I'd rather have a childlike perception that I can suck my thumb and hide in the closet and the monsters won't get me. Wrong answer. Because <laughs> the monsters will get you. They'll get you anyways, and you're not protected. They will get you. Lot, yes. There are a lot of people that These... are doing that. They're children. Well, we, yes. have, we have a lot of children around us, or they just won't even let their brain go to there. They stay in that little but pretty bubble. Um, Labo's first law of psychodynamics, because I'm trained as a psychiatrist and a psychoanalyst, so I get to make up those things. Um, Labo's first law of psychodynamics is anger drives out fear, or at least it's intended to. So a lot of these people become angry. Well, you're just an anti-vaxxer. Well, yeah, I am an anti-vaxxer. I'm not just an anti-vaxxer. That's one of my accomplishments. I'm an anti a lot of things, including anti-genocidalist, an anti-globalist. I'm an anti-suppressionist. I don't want the human capacity suppressed for the ill will gain and uh, hubris of very evil people. I'm, I'm anti a lot of things. Vaccine is just one. Yeah, well, okay, so you... At some point in your career, you were tipped off that a mass culling was coming. Can you talk yes. about that? Because that's, that was probably sure something can. that shook you to the core. Absolutely. So in my drug-free practice of psychiatry and medicine, something rather um, atypical was going on, and that is that people were getting well. That's not what allopathic medicine generally achieves. It suppresses symptoms and redefines that as health. That's not health, that's symptom suppression. And meanwhile, the underlying cause of whatever it is that's going on is worse. getting worse. Yeah. And Right. And so we, it's a great business model um, and it doesn't serve people well, but it does serve the controllers will. Uh, and remember the pharmaceutical industry, that's John D. Rockefeller senior and junior business model. The pharmaceutical industry has always had depopulation as its dark underpinning behind the handing out of drugs to the chronically ill who are made chronically ill in order to keep consuming drugs. That's one part of the model. But behind that model has always been genocide. John D. Rockefeller Sr. and Jr., predatory philanthropists, created what we're looking at now intentionally and culling the weakened and controlled population has always been an explicit articulated point, part of the point of what they were doing. And the drug system is only part of it. And allopathic medicine was essentially elevated uh, specifically to be a drug distribution system. Uh, so, and that, I just presented uh, exactly that in much more detail uh, this past weekend, the American Freedom Alliance uh, 
because it's historically correct. This is not um, uh, speculative, Sarah. This is absolutely documented reality that's been hidden because it's sort of inconvenient if you're trying to kill a large number of people to and, tell them that that's what you want to do. And, so and they have specified, I was, and for sure, and this is what people don't understand, they have specified that depopulation is their agenda. Absolutely. Absolutely. On um, 7 billion day, um, back a while, uh, a few years ago, when the statistical um, calculations of the population of the planetary, uh, the planetary population was 7 billion, uh, the World Health Organization, misnamed, should be called the World Holocaust Organization, Director General Margaret Chan, looked directly into the camera after praising the birth of baby number 7 billion, a little girl in the Middle East, and they gave her pink blankets and diapers and, and formula. Babies shouldn't have formula. And um, they made all these nice sounds about baby seven, mil 7 billion, welcome to the world. Margaret Chan looked directly into the camera. She was the Tedros of the time. And she said, now we have to get really serious about population reduction. That's interesting. Now we have to get really serious. We've only been funning around before. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. So what did Let that me mean? Back up. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I know you're going to. Well, explain in 1974, <laughs> in 1974, the World Holocaust Organization created a commission to develop a vaccine to uh, eliminate fertility in human beings. Now they had, they divided it into two committees, a committee for the creation of a vaccine that would induce male sterility and a committee for the creation of a vaccine that would, that would induce female infertility. It's called sterility in men, infertility in women, same thing, no reproduction. And so they pretty soon stopped the one for men because who was making the decisions, right? And so why don't we just deal with women and take that away from them? But men have seen a huge decrease, like one out of six men can't. Huge decrease. So huge whatever they decrease. did are doing is working, but. Well, this was just can't. the vaccine program. I'm not saying this was the only program they had. They had many, many programs, all the toxins and so on, just the vaccines. Um, and so they got rid of the, the committee for the male sterility vaccines, and they, they figured out how to, this is conventional vaccines like tetanus vaccines laced with human chorionic gonadotrophin. So you make antibodies against something that every woman's body needs in order to hold on to a pregnancy. So once having received this stuff injected, you can never, ever hold on to a pregnancy. You can have a fertilized ovum. Keep constantly having spontaneous abortions. Constantly. Always. Even before yeah. you know you're pregnant, the, the body will reject the fetus uh, or the, the embryo at that point or the zygote even really early. Okay. So they worked on that and they got real good at that. And indeed, the uh, WHO was found guilty of genocide in the Philippines by the high court for the involuntary sterilization of an unknown millions of Filipinas. So, you know, they've been doing this for a while and they've done it in Kenya and 
they did it in Africa and they did it to the indigenous people here in North America. Well, sterilization in North America, actually hundreds of thousands of people were involuntarily sterilized thanks to the Rockefeller supported legislation in the United States. That wasn't the vaccine. That was something other program. They weren't, they weren't up to vaccines yet. Remember, it, vaccines are just, you know, I wrote an article quite a number of years ago, Sarah, called Pity the Poor Genocidalists, in which I pointed out that we're so damn resilient as a species that they have to work really hard to get rid of enough of us to make themselves happy. They have to use vaccines and uh, bioweapons and they have to use starvation and genetically modified crops and, and uh, medications that, that kill us. And I mean, they, you know, it's hard for babies. So they're, but they're, they're up to the task, I have to say, and they're brilliant and they can buy the best, Minds. So when they when they did the sterilization campaign that was a formally blessed by the U.S. government and the Canadian government because it was done in Canada too. That was it was a it wasn't a vaccine. It was some other kind of shot. What were they doing? Or were they just going in and taking out, you know, physically altering them? What they, was a combination. Some of all of the above. Some mm -hmm. of all of the above and tubal ligations and uh, very rarely was it a, uh, um, a vasectomy because, you know, <laughs> let's not mess with the guys. But you know, what was the deal with that on an involuntary basis? I mean, that you have to be blind to know that the uh, not to realize that there were harsher on the women than the men. And but the men, like I said, one of the six men are sterile right now. So they at some point, they got even well, more serious. Go ahead. Oh, they're very serious. They're very serious. But the vaccines were focused on uh, female fertility. So back to how did I how did I sort of get read into the program accidentally backwards and upside down? Um, so I had a phone call that I'm not going to answer. I had a um, a patient. So I was doing drug-free psychiatry and medicine and my patients were getting well and they typical typically were people who had been told to go home and die or there was no hope or there was no further treatment or they had to live with the pain or something like that and they were pretty generally pretty desperate and they'd tried everything else and it hadn't worked and at that point uh they would come to somebody like me and a head of state was one of my patients, and I treated a lot of people who were in the um, the class that is regarded as the elite. Um, but so it wasn't particularly unusual. This woman was a head of state. Sometimes at, at state dinner, she walks around with a crown on her head like that. And um, one day she said to me, you know, it's almost time for the great culling to begin. And I said, what? And she said, culling, C-U-L-L. -L. I said, I know the word. What are you talking about? She said, the culling of the useless eaters, as if I were some sort of dimwit for not knowing that's what she was talking about. And at that time, Sarah, I had never heard the term useless eaters. It was an unknown concept to me. I said, what's a useless eater? She said, not what, my dear, who? If we don't have an affectionate relationship, don't use terms of diminishment and endearment to me. It doesn't work well for me. But nevertheless, I said to so her, who? Okay, who who's are a they? useless eater? Yeah. Who is a useless eater? She said, those people 
who are consuming our non-renewable resources. And I said, did it ever occur to you that you are consuming their non-renewable resources? <laughs> That's right. And she said, oh. You said that to her. That's an interesting idea. Of course. Good for you. Why wouldn't I? And what'd she say? I mean, I just... You she said, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. And then she immediately dismissed it and said, well, anyway. And I said, well, how many of these useless eaters are you planning on culling? And she said, 90%. And I said, 90% of what? She said, the total world population. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, this is one of the wealthiest people on the planet. I said, your enormous fortune is based on selling massive amounts of shit to enormous numbers of people. And if you don't have enormous numbers of people to sell your massive amounts of shit to, how are you going to maintain your fantastic wealth? And she said, oh, no, no, my dear, you really don't understand. And I said, well, clearly I don't. She said, the mercantile era which began in the 14th century with the Hanseatic League in Germany, is coming to an end. We are moving to the neo-feudal era. There will be us, the neo-aristocrats at the top, surrounded by our servants and servitors. Sarah, that's the first time I ever heard anybody use the word servitor in a sentence. Anyway, surrounded by our servants and servitors, and around them are technicians. That requires only 10% of the current population, everyone else is superfluous. Okay, so how many and... of them are they? Okay, keep going. I just want, how many of them are they? And then who are the technicians? And the... Not enough to pull this shit off. That's how many there are, <laughs> right? Because there are a great many of us. God. And Sun Tzu said, and you know well who Sun Tzu is. Yep. Sun Tzu said quite correctly, we put our greatest strength against their greatest weakness. And our numbers are our greatest strength. They fear That's us, right. they back off from us. And I can tell you from personal experience, organizing um, policy change campaigns, that when millions and millions of us speak out with a single voice, they back off. Every single time. Yeah, they come around again, but we're smarter and we're better organized and we're ready for them. They fear our numbers. So keep she, telling us the rest of this, because this is the most interesting thing I've heard in a while. Well, you need new friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. I should say it differently. It's, the fight this conversation is pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much the end of the conversation by the way she was cured of the thing that she had come in for did you almost um, wish you didn't cure her at this she point? left i mean it's kind of like why why would we want these people even walking around you know we don't need them they need us we don't need them they need us well we don't i will need tell them you at all. parenthetically we don't need them at all. These are parasites with absolutely no valid social function, although they set themselves up as the elite. They are nothing but blood-sucking murderous parasites. Yeah, we don't so, need them. No, we don't need them. No. And we don't want I'm them. I'm not big on... 
we certainly don't. I'm not big on on ticks and uh, uh, fleas and lice and leeches. And that's what these people are. How do we identify who they are and then and then take them down? Because that's what we need. Well, they identify themselves quite nicely. They set themselves up as um, our masters. They set public policy for us. And then they they trickle down that public policy to their puppets, their sock puppets. Uh, they have their hands up the, the butts of the sock puppets who sit in political power and they, they move them around. Um, they... They formulate policies. They have wonderful sounding names. They talk about equity, which means I take everything you got. That's what equity means. Um, and they, they uh, bring us ideas like diversity, which means I get to decide who gets anything. And they I weaponize get to every word. One group, because... they weaponize every word, and I get to pit one group against another, and I get to foment hate and racism and anti-Semitism and, uh, and uh, toxic nationalism and, and white supremacy and black supremacy and blue supremacy and red supremacy and purple supremacy, because it all serves me, the globalist. I mean, the people who are fomenting this and funding this and fomentation and funding are very similar processes. Those are the bad guys. Now, we don't know the identities of all of them, because in this conversation, one of the things that I said to uh, to this uh, monarch was, who's behind all this? Who's in charge of all of this? The Illuminati? And she said, oh, no, no, my dear, the Illuminati are middle management, which, by the way, I had suspected for some time, because if the Illuminati have allowed themselves to become publicly recognized, we know that they're not in charge. If the Bilderbergers have allowed themselves to become publicly recognized, we know they're not in charge. So I said, well, who's in charge of all of this? And she said, the seven dwarves. And I thought, oh, dear God, she has slipped another cog. And I said, what? And she said, there is a council of seven men, and they make all of the long-range policy decisions. And I said, you know, that's credible, could be. Uh, I said, well, who are they? She said, I don't know. And I said, wait a minute. I can understand if you don't choose to tell me who they are, and that's perfectly within your, your legitimate options. But given your position, there's no way that I believe that you don't know who they are. And she said, no, you don't understand. I don't want to know who they are, because if I knew who any of them were, that would be worth my life. Oh, I said, that's interesting. And then she left. I mean, we had a bit more conversation, but she left. And I thought either this woman is batshit crazy and I missed it because I was treating something physical and wasn't looking for psychiatric um, slippage or she has just delivered an enormous clue to me and the reality of course was both because the woman was a psychopath was raised to be a psychopath and also gave me enormously valuable information which I discovered when my curiosity would not let me not find out more about this. So I began to do some research. 
And in those days, the internet was less useful than it is now. So I actually used these things called books, which have pages. I, I don't know if you remember those. They, they <laughs> actually, you hold them in your hands. They're remarkable. 